0: Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favorite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's Market Report.
1: Welcome to the Market Report, What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market report for week commencing 21st of October 2019. I've just uh, flown in by private jet to Norwich Airport, uh, following the European Bourse in Vienna. We've had enough of that yellow fizzy stuff called Eurofizz, which is tasteless and cold. However... It is obligatory to uh, see the foreigners off with a spot of over drinking. The market this morning, when you listen to this report, could be five quid lower or five quid higher, depending on how they vote on Saturday. So it's kind of flip a coin time. As far as it goes, this week the market's been quite weak. Uh, The value of feed wheat spot has come down a bit, 26, 27x depending on who's um, loading a boat. There isn't really a lot of life in the November or December market, although there's lots of talk of people saying we're very, very cheap in the world. There aren't that many buyers queuing up to buy it. So we're kind of a little bit lost boy in the trade at the moment, and no one really has a clear direction to it. The November futures have been particularly under pressure leading up to the uh, Thursday-Friday period this week, where uh, people who don't want to be tendered have been selling their futures and avoiding having to pay some some checks out to doing grain when they tender all their grain next week so that's the futures have been under a a kind of artificial pressure but that's over with now so we'll now see probably we guess something like 110,000 tons getting tended maybe a bit more than that. As far as the feed barley market's concerned obviously Again, we all thought Brexit would mean we'll stop exporting the end of October, so the boats are queuing up at the various ports. as spot demand for feed barley and feed wheat, but we're running out of days to deliver it. By Monday morning, we could find out that we're in fact having an extended period of trade without any tariffs, which will obviously be bullish, we believe, to both. So, approximate value for feed barley, 117x. Oilseed rapes had a bit of a howler. It's been coming down in Matif, and whilst there's real problems in Canada with their canola crop, there's been rumour that some people have been selling Matif and buying Canadian on the basis of there being some cash in the arbitrage between those two markets, uh, which has subdued the French market more than it should have done. Maybe we're clutching at straws at that. Maybe, in fact, there's so much Rape around and we're going to get an alternative supply of it. I don't think so. There is fundamentally a short or a tight position on Rape. So although it's dropped to 3.15, which is £15 off where we said we thought it was going to hold, at this moment we're looking uh, a bit embarrassed by that. But let's see what the weekend brings. Anyway, have a great week's trading and let's hope the uh, Brexit decision goes your way and you're happy. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade... On this opinion is yours.
0: This is an advert for our merchant listeners. The Norfolk dinner is to be held on January the sixteenth. We have a new venue in the city centre, giving a much better experience, showcasing what Norfolk is about. Book tickets or tables via Emma at Dewinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: Okay, so this is week two of Peter Riley. Peter works for Pharmacy, PLC, and he's, he's the Norfolk Division, king of the road in this part of the world, and, uh, you know, covers Boys Land up here, as I get in trouble for calling it, and the strong, heavy stuff where they haven't had any rain for ages. So, Peter, welcome back for this week's version. Good morning, Andrew. Apologies for any noise in the background today. We appear to have the Pirelli reps displaying how fast eating wheels spin in our yard. So, after this podcast, I'll go and sack him. Webby's still sitting here with us, and Peter, who was forgotten for the first year, has now got a header to make up for lost ground. <laughs> this conversation, Peter, is going to be about the future. You know, when you and I are both pushing up the daisies or sitting out there watching these youngsters get at it, it's where we go to next as an industry and where the agronomist sits within that, because you have an opinion, and we're going we're to be a bit brave about some of it.
2: Yeah, well, first of all, a message to my competitors. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> 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 I, I know, I know, Andrew. You're very, you're very keen to to offer the same sentiment. <laughs> kind of talking ten years hence. You know? uh, okay. is, uh,
1: is that enough time for you to like? Yeah,
2: possibly. Yeah. The uh, sort of agriculture we have today is is entirely different to when I started uh, work uh, a few years ago. Certainly.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, it, what, right. Compare the agronomist job from ten years ago to now, and then project agronomist job ten years hence.
2: Yes, that's an interesting question. I think it's been developing over the years, but certainly agronomists sort of came from the sort of agrochemical background as such, and recommending materials, agrochemicals, to actually solve a particular problem. There was a huge revolution in the 70s and 80s with great new materials coming along that increased yields quite dramatically. It was a real revolution. Can I just say that in my youth, I
1: worked for a company called Kenneth Wilson, and I actually was given a load of customers to deal with, and I inherited some customers who used to buy chemicals off the previous guy, and I've actually... You've been an agronomist and i walked around a field near <laughs> webby's laughing and i walked around this field with a guy out somewhere near summer he said what should i be doing then boy and i was all of 21 and i said oh and i walked around the field and kind of looked at the odd weed and thought yeah you've got a few weeds here So, what did you use last year and he said britox britox <laughs> gracious me a may and baker product guess what i said i said you wouldn't do far wrong doing the same thing again next year. (laughs) How many cans
2: would you like? You've asked about going forward in 10 years' time. I think it will be an entirely different skill set required to be working with the farm businesses that are are actually still in business at that time. Uh, And there will be changes, there's no doubt about that, from where we are now. It's been gradually changing, but I think there'll be an acceleration over the next 10 years in terms of farm structure and how they farm. The agronomist's job is to maximise the
1: potential income whilst sustaining the physical attributes of the farm
2: yeah I used I did have a mission statement in one of my former companies which was along those sort of lines that we were maximizing contribution but also enabling financial and environmental sustainability of the business Mm. and it's certainly my view that if you're actually looking at financial and environmental sustainability you're very likely to be making short-term profits as well so you really have to got to be thinking of the longer term I mean, we are in a long-term industry, the soil is very precious to us, and so you've actually got to be looking after that soil for the future, basically.
3: I'm recognising a bit of a generational change, and there are some characters coming through of my sort of age group. Do you see a change in sentiment or um, more of a, an interest in innovation and kind of going forward in different practices?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we live in a world with technology and uh, the, the, the phones we have here are bigger than the, the huge computer at Y College many years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and they're using technology, so the youngsters are very happy with technological sort of solutions to things. And, and that's where the, the future is. We're very keen on uh, variable rate seeding, for example, and and there's lots of other technologies that uh, we're we're looking to
3: bring are, into. Fun. Are some of them sort of fads that you think might come and go? Are there what's the one in particular that you see has real strength and staying power?
2: They're all parts of uh, what you're trying to do, but at, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to actually keep your soil in good order so that it can actually produce a good crop or a sustainable crop for the future. So the cultivation systems and how we use cultivation systems I think is the key uh, issue that will will stay around and will be there for some time. All these things like uh, variable P and K, variable seeding, variable seeding I think is is the most important of all of these personally. And they will come and go, but there will be a lot more technology developing into agronomy decision-making. You
3: talked about soil health and soil sciences, um, and we touched upon this in our earlier chat, but I thought it was the 100-year harvest, and you are telling me it's the 50-year harvest, which you dismissed, you sort of when you used the word you said. I think it was Andrew who brought up that uh, there was
2: uh, a report saying that we have 50 more harvests left and um, I, I find that uh, slightly difficult uh, because all I see on the farms that have got the best practices in managing their soil as such is, is that our soils are getting better. I mean the issue perhaps going forward is our current system is very heavily dependent on nitrogen fertiliser uh, and the carbon footprint of that mm. is is potentially a difficulty for the future. But I'm very confident in that the, the, the The agribusinesses we have now are very, very flexible in terms of how they actually operate going forward. So there will be plenty of potential for them to
3: actually react to whatever circumstances they find going forward. With the banning of some of the pesticides and things, I mean, do you see farming going back to some of the old-fashioned techniques as well as new innovation as well?
2: Uh, Basically, uh, I don't know about old-fashioned techniques, but basically uh, uh, if you're you have to be working with the cultural control aspects and rotational aspects far more than perhaps reaching for a can of chemical to control a particular problem. If we lose a particular material, against, then we've got to think of using more cultural control, and that might be delayed drilling, it might be spacing of the seed, it might be using new traits that are coming from breeders. So there's a number of solutions to that. They're not necessarily old-fashioned. They might be quite absolutely brand-new fashion, technological There is, fashions.
3: unfortunately, there is a lot of lobbying against a lot of pesticides and chemicals out there. I mean, glyphosate was the one recently that got some press in Germany that you're saying is 2023 that it will be gone. It'll provide some, if it comes to the UK, some serious challenges, won't it, for us?
2: It certainly will. Our our, culti- our cultivation systems, our, our reduced traffic and, and cultivation systems, are, particularly in black grass areas, are very highly dependent on on uh, glyphosate as a, as a control measure. So that would, uh, that would definitely mean a change in how we actually conduct our rotational systems going forward. All we can hope for as farmers and advisors is that any decision on, on agrochemicals, I don't think any of us working in industry wants to be working with things that are dangerous or deleterious to the environment, but uh, basically we still have in this country a scientific-based crop protection uh, regime. So uh, CRD are principally scientific... Uh, which is not always the case across all of Europe. So that's, that's all we can hope for, that any decision is scientifically based on rather than politically or, or based. Is, is
1: this a good time to bring up your patented idea of
2: dealing with meadow grass on your patio? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, I look with interest at, uh, at how uh, the... Uh, the destructive systems are going to, be before there's things like pelagonic acid being looked at, I think there's people looking at burners in field and things. So I've conducted a couple of trials, as you rightly say, on my mm-hmm. patio, not reaching for uh, a glyphosate uh, uh, every time, and uh, I have a gas burner and I have boiling water. And boiling water is really quite good on annual metagraphs. Uh, okay. What's the carbon footprint of actually using boiling water against using a can of uh, glyphosate? I really ought to go and work out. Could, you, could be, you heat the water in a solar solar systems. well so I do have uh, I do have solar panels on the head so if I do it yeah. at lunchtime in the sunshine I suppose it's okay
1: <laughs> so so you know you hear you here first Peter Riley uh, is, is ahead of the field boiling water the dynamic of you know take a chemical away a year that we're, that we're facing the, the agronomist dealing with black grass dealing with with whatever min till systems are going to leave in a field There's going to have to be a moment where the agronomist has less opportunity to, if you like, cover his costs by selling chemicals, because in the end there has to be some form of payment for his fabulous advice. And there has to be a kind of a more overriding job of complete farm management incorporating animals or something. I mean, is
2: that where the agronomist role is going? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to be very difficult for singleton uh, agronomists. Uh, again, it's part of the reason I'm, I'm with uh, Pharmacy at the moment, because mm. we have a, a national company as such with a, a lot of resources and looking at a whole load of things. And I think it will be a team of people involved in a farm going forward, mm. each with their own specialism as such. So,
1: I mean, the disassociation with food is, is the issue at the moment. Everyone can blame the farmer and tell them, you know, anyone that produces meat is killing the planet more than, more than aeroplane flights are. And so the general population have got no idea about the dynamic of how cheap food is. The level of intellect with the general public has to be raised. The level of understanding about grass fed beef versus feedlot stock be you know with the, that's imported soy or imported corn going into it. so in other words, if the environmental lobby gets stronger and stronger, which it will, you know ten years from now we have you know we've we've lost the two party system and we have 70% of the MPs are green because we've had an election where everyone's fed up with everything and and they suddenly, all of the city, everybody, let's vote green. And all of a sudden the green have an element of control that then there's going to be some very radical changes. And amongst that, the dynamic will be much higher food prices. The dynamic will then be a higher level of awareness about what food actually is. Is that this kind of catalyst that makes the agronomist be able to say, right, OK, well that we're getting good money for beef now. People recognise that as good grass. We can make that work because that will get rid of the black grass because it won't get a chance to seed.
2: Well, ultimately, I think uh, a sustainable system will win out. It doesn't sit very well with me that uh, the indigenous foods in this country that we can produce in this country has continued to decline since Mm. the 70s quite dramatically Mm. because we can actually grow quite a, a lot of our seed. and We don't have to import as much soya as we do if we were to grow pulses more than we do, and it might be an inconvenience to the processing and uh, feed business. If the government led that, the government
1: said, right... The government is not going to al- allow soya to be imported because soya represents something grown in, on a continent it would, far it would away.
2: Need to, it, farming can be very flexible and people can be very flexible and everything else. But it, needs something, it would need a huge change uh, like uh, queues outside Tesco's or, or whatever, uh, shelves being empty uh, for, for real innovation and real change to, to occur. But uh, it could, who knows? Who knows what the future is we produce a surplus we're well placed we're a maritime country yes climate change is here but climate change is going to is going to have a much greater effect in other parts of the world than it is here so as a country and Western Europe as a whole we're really well placed to actually deal with whatever comes in front of us we have the opportunity we have
1: we have water all around us and we will get better at capturing those deluges that that occur periodically and so, we, yes, we're going to produce more than we consume for the foreseeable future. It's just about making sure we utilise all of what we consume comes from this country in the first place, doesn't
2: it? Yeah, and, and the ag industry as a whole are great innovators. They're very happy to change, and the, the young uh, farmers coming through are, are really very bright and good people and the young agronomists coming through I, I think is, is there's a great future for the farming industry. I guess the only danger is it will be in very few
1: hands won't it there's this at the moment the farms are getting bigger and bigger and bigger will they break down to become you know will, will we end up with family farms again or small units that are very very self-sufficient producing very specific products for very specific shops or will it be you know, a Dyson-esque estate that owns major slices of the land and they become able to kind of hold stuff off the market. I don't know. Where does it sit, do you think? I, I can't get my head
2: around what happens next on that. I, I can only see businesses getting larger, mm-hmm. Andrew, in, in, in maybe the shorter term, maybe. But uh, the sort of innovation and technology required to, to manage, uh, manage land and manage their health and safety and their cross-compliance and all those issues gets more complicated every year and so therefore you need a a really good structure within the farm to do that and it's going to be very difficult for a small part-time person to be able to do that so Mm. I can only see the technology coming in that's going to be larger farms maybe maybe they'll be producing the same amount of food off a bigger hectare Mm. that's probably more likely than not maybe. Do you ever see farmers, if
1: there's less of them, suddenly finally getting themselves together and being more dominant in the marketplace as a, as a unit? If you if you take two hundred and make it fifty,
2: Poss- possibly, but uh, Not uh, I recall a, a, a few years ago that there were there was two or three carrot growers for one supermarket or whatever, and they couldn't influence the price of that supermarket whatsoever. Mm. So um, I personally doubt it. It is a. We're just a price dream. takers at, uh, at the farm level, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I
1: I can't. I think in the end, we're going to head through a period of independence, it looks like, you know. I, I guess. I mean, politically, we, you, you can't be sure what happens next. This is pre-Brexit, this recording, so you have GM, which I think the general public will fight forever because there's enough... Extreme uh, food view people that will do damage you know 200 of them in the country is enough to trample every crop
2: possibly but if if there were if there were health benefits or whatever that came in through new technology as such that might change Uh, we have resistant uh, bugs to all our antibiotics at the moment so maybe one day there'll be a gm antibiotic and would the would the population turn that down i don't know no i guess they would would certainly turn down a Roundup-resistant uh, uh, soybeans uh, as such, which is the current state. But uh, maybe, maybe it will change in the future. It's disappointing that the European uh, EFSA have, have turned against the CRISPR, which isn't GM, mm. but could bring huge benefits into, into the industry. The track record at the moment is not great in terms of regulation.
1: No, it's about the, the food lobby. It's about the farmer not being painted as the baddie. It's about the, the dynamic of the relationship of the population to what actually goes on and the level of quality of the meat, I think it boils down to the the consumer's responsibility to find the product that's ethically and sustainably grown. And the labelling, if misleading, they need to absolutely hammer the supermarkets on it because farm fresh does not mean anything at all, does it? Mm. There will be a point at which farmers will have had enough criticism, and I think they're going to go through a period of less income, and they're going to genuinely be a little bit hard up here and there And they will be fed up, and there will be some some action, some actual, you know dung dropped on the m25 or whatever it takes to make people maybe save.
2: maybe but it's a very noble in- industry isn't it actually producing food for people to eat because the, the, at the end of the day if you don't eat as the population doesn't eat they will die so it is a very noble profession actually to be producing food for for the population but the,
1: but the dynamic is that the control of that comes maybe that will come back yeah know. but it comes down respect to will come back the bulk of the food comes from the supermarket which they can source from all over the place and just maybe...
2: Yeah, but there, there, there's farmers Farmers are producing that wherever they are. I've had on a number of the podcasts, and I'm sure you've listened to every one, Peter,
1: despite not being invited before now. And um, that every piece of American hormone-induced beef should have a massive great American flag on it so everybody knows what you're buying when you go, oh, it's got American beef.
2: Possibly, but at the height of the mad cow uh, regime, I recall Asda reduced their prices of beef and sold every pound of it. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it it would be great that uh, everyone respects uh, the food that is produced, and uh, it's 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 to, it, it continues to improve in its its uh, husbandry and uh, and back to uh, the humble agronomist. He's he's
1: going to be the person on the farm. The farm price is under pressure. Chemicals are disappearing. You know, you've got to look at it from a you know your your company is independent. You can look at it from a perspective of saying, do you know what? There's so few things we can do with input in terms of chemical. Our job now is a kind of more advisory role. You need to look at doing that. I'm going to bring in a, a, an animal specialist. You need to do, bring them onto some of the rotation.
2: Yeah, that's very much the direction of travel. And the, the yeah. agronomist role is definitely going to change and changing now. So very much, it's going to be a holistic look at the farm as such and the, with the farmer to work out how they actually keep everyone in business and the men on the farm and everything else like that mm. uh, within whatever geopolitical sort of restrict business restrictions we've got at the time. Mm. So uh, agronomists will have to learn new skills and have to be part of a bigger team to have bigger backup and more technology and the like. Mm. But it's a brave new world that I'm sure will be very rewarding to those so who would, want to come into the industry. Would you like to be 25 again? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously. Of course I would. <laughs> you had a choice of, of, of starting when you started or starting yeah, now? Yeah, a couple of years ago, I, yeah, when I was 25, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. I, th- I think it's a it's a real prospect because food will be produced, and mm. it, it's, it's potentially going to be more important going forward than it is now with climate change and the like, and and potential restrictions on how we we grow it and the like. So so there will be a more respect for food maybe going forward, and uh, and the role will be so important. I, I think there
1: is for, for the open minded. And the... Yeah,
2: I think that's, the, that's a good term. You need to be open-minded and flexible and be able to learn new skills. And there's going to be the major
1: companies who are going to have the complete crop stitched. You can only get the seed off us. You have to have our agronomy. You have to sell it to us. You know, we'll do the credit, whatever it takes to keep you tied in. There's going to be an element of the, of the market, I think, tied up. It should still leave the opportunity for independent people to be able to come up with original ideas to survive outside the box of the corporateness. I'm kind of hoping that because, you know, I have a grain business that, that would like to trade, but we don't own any consumption. And it's, it's about, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm slightly more pessimistic about the grain trading future. I think that, that the industry shrunk so much it's down to a very few people possibly because of the bespoke requirements from farmers there will be opportunity for small companies to to spring up and to provide services for for very big farmers on a very very individual basis but i think it's going to continue to be tough for a year or two whilst the big few battle out to decide who's left to control the bulk of the tonnage right i think we need to have a beer don't we maybe you hold the microphone run on for a minute and i'll get the beer open how about that
3: So, Peter, just while Andrew's cracking into it, what have we got? Treason West Coast IPA. Looks good beer. So hopefully, fingers crossed, it's a, a decent one we've got for you today. But um, I just thought, Malting Barley, you're um, on the boards, as we talked about earlier. But can you just remind us what board it is that you're on?
2: It's, uh, it's part of the RL project for producing the AHCB recommended list. Cereal and oil seeds recommended list. So I am barley, oats, and other cereals, which incorporates malting barley. And to, to that end, I, I did actually bring the malting barley committee to Norfolk. We normally meet in the okay. centre of the country this summer, and uh, uh, visited uh, one of the local maltings yeah. to uh, to sh- see what happened to uh, and what their aspect oh, of, no. of uh, what was happening in malting barley, because. Uh, as you well know, we're, we're in a fantastic area for producing malting oh, barley. Oh, yeah, the best And my son-in-law and his friends are in Southwold today, uh, okay. probably about this time, just about Again, to go around one, the Adams uh, uh, brewery. And I think uh, you, your company has some involvement in, uh, in... We do. We love Adams,
1: don't we? We supply the barley for lots of their their gin well their gins and their and their spirits well
2: I did say that uh, I'm going to see the man that, pro, uh, that uh, produces the barley yeah,
1: uh, uh, Holcomb estate Deering <laughs> grain bought malt and Adams have a, had a deal that's gone together for several years and thankfully Adams did a massive advertising thing up at Holcomb with a with the side of the wheat futures shed actually not the barley shed <laughs> ironically it says Adams the home of our barley or whatever which to us meant this contract's going to last a long time so we uh, we do love
2: it. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a great story. I think malting barley is a great story. And it's one of the things that we can produce in this part of the world that uh, there's only two or three areas of malting barley in the country that really doesn't. Of course, Norfolk malting barley is the best in the World. world. Uh, as such, as I remind uh, my uh, colleague on the Barley Oats and Other Cereals Committee, Jonathan Arnold from uh, from Hampshire. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we love it. But in terms of uh, varietally choosing, I say what's going to be listed, but there is an influence on what growers will plant every year. This must be communication between, well, it goes back to the brewer, the malster, the seed merchants, you as an agronomist. Is it an interaction of all of you together or is it mainly controlled by the brewer as the end user? Oh, definitely the and end user. Uh, but, and so uh,
2: hence our, our meeting in May, where we, where we discuss a, the, 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 the agronomic merits of a particular variety, but also what is required by the market, I think is most mm-hmm. important. So uh, absolutely, when it comes to malting barley, it's actually what the end user requires that what our job as agronomists is to value the contracts that are uh, available, and which we believe that we can mm-hmm have a greater reliability in meeting and, and also make money out of one
3: farm. But importantly, as you just said, agronomically, it's got to tick all the boxes, hasn't it? Growers have got to want to grow.
2: Well, you say that, but uh, agronomically, does Marisota tick all the boxes? The answer is probably no, but it is uh, 28% of the mal- winter malting barley crop. If it's a story that sells on the basis of whether it's right or wrong, do you know
1: what? If it, if it promotes beer and it promotes the industry and, and uses the ground, I, you know, we don't trade otters. You know, we can't. But um, no, it's it's a, it's a good story. Anyway, it's not like you Webby, to, to talk when we're supposed to be drinking the beer. I'm I'm, I'm
2: most impressed. Have a little sip, Peter. Just no, have. I, have, I have had a little sip. Where do you think? What sort of malt do you think this is then? And what sort of hops is it? Where do the hops go? Windsor. It's a posh southern beer. I look forward to the crate that you've got me to tonight with my friends.
1: Absolutely, Peter. Except we've we've been at the crate already, and I'm afraid there's
2: only one left. And uh, (laughs) and And we're drinking it. I I actually like this beer. This is a good beer.
3: It's treason. It's called, and I really do like the taste of this beer. It's a bit of a big hitter. Just look at the bottle there. I think it got a gold award for something actually, Andrew. If we have a look at probably what's it, the International Beer Challenge, London 2015 Gold Award.
1: And this one this one'll get a doing Grain Podcast Award which is even more prestigious I think. This is it this is one we would drink again. So right you know Peter we've we've had two weeks worth out of you.
2: Um I hope you've enjoyed the experience. Yeah it's a pleasure seeing you again and uh, in uh,
1: thank you so much for coming in. I hope you've enjoyed it and I'm um, I'm sure that um there won't be much editing for peace got such knowledge we've got it all haven't we? Thank you Peter. Okay, thanks very much Andrew.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dewin Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewandgrain.com. Or follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tin Shed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.